Hello and welcome to Tea Time Theology. I'm Ivy Swinsky. Today's guest is the canon Michael Horvat, and we will be talking about living in covenant. Michael, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so let's start with your Bible quote and see where we go from there. So my Bible quote is a little lengthy, but hang in there. Everyone knows it. It's uh, a favorite and it's certainly my favorite. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 10. Amazing. I really do enjoy the Beatitudes. I feel like there's something that I always forget about until like that Sunday pops up and then suddenly you're like, oh my God, yeah, no, this is great. This is like an awesome thing that I always yeah. forget about. So there's like some flashier ones that get the attention instead. Yeah. But it's so wonderful. So my secular quote is the song Everywhere. Um, so it's mm -hmm. a like early 2000s throwback. Mm -hmm. um, and it the lyrics are, cause you're everywhere to me. And when I close my eyes, it's you I see. You're everything I know. And that makes me believe I'm not alone. And I, oh, so yeah. Good. I love that this song is just like a fun jam out song, but yeah. I felt like those lyrics really were part of what we're talking about here today and this idea of living in a covenant with God and what mm -hmm. does that mean to us and how do we do that? Yeah, that, that is a wonderful, it's a wonderful song yeah. and, uh, and I'm excited about the topic. Yeah, definitely. So let's dive right in. So what is a covenant? What does that mean to you when I use that word? The first thing that comes to mind is relationship. Um, it is, for me, uh, a covenant is something that guides uh, our relationship or relationships. Uh, so it can be between me and you. It can uh, be between me and God. It can be between, you know, all worshipers and God. So it's something that we establish as a, as a base level. Um, and we, we're not saying that we're me meeting those base level promises all the time, but that we're aspiring to meet them. We're doing our best to get there. So if I'm talking about my covenant with God, or I'm talking about my relationship with God and what 
I understand God is asking me to do and to be in this world. Um, you know, I, I used to be a lawyer. And so there were always, an, and I was a transactional lawyer, and there was always a set of, um, of uh, paragraphs in a contract that were, you know, covenants. And I remember just thinking as I was um, either creating them, writing them out, or I was reviewing them, I just kept thinking, you know, what is really going to make this um, this relationship between my client and, and, and this other party really mutually beneficial, right? And I think that's something that we forget about what a covenant is, is that I think it really needs to be mutually beneficial. It's not a contract of adhesion where, you know, these are the rules. If you don't stick by them, that's it. Um, there's always room to, to figure out new ways of being, I think, in a covenant. And so it's both um, a set of guidelines that um, lay a, a framework, but it's also a very uh, flexible framework, right, that, that should allow for some growth and for some reflection into, into our relationship. I love that the two examples that came into my mind with covenant yeah. are, I don't know if in like your life and work, you do a lot of like group trainings and yeah. I feel like you always start them with those group norms, which I personally yeah. find so tedious. Like I understand conceptually why they're so important, but I'm like, yeah, we know not to be mean to each other. We're all at the same conference. Like we we're kind of like base level at yeah. the same level. Um, and a lot of times they call them either group norms or like the group's covenant, um, yeah. which I always find so interesting because I feel like covenant, the word itself has sort of taken on this like very biblical aspect to it. Like mm -hmm. I feel like you can hear people use the word like relationship. That's something that is in like our everyday dialogue but the word covenant yeah. like this elevated sort of idea so I love that you brought it down and you're like no this is this is really what it is yeah yeah um do you know Brene Brown she's um she uh work she's a, a researcher and a, and a really kind of big author um you know you may like classify her as a self-help author but she is an Episcopalian and she's written some amazing um books um, like Dare to Lead is one that I've just recently read and in it she talks about um, group dynamics and how when you're coming together as a group to um, to really talk and work through some really difficult things that it hopefully will be transformative to whatever organization you're in um, that you're also bringing in your uh, your baggage, right? You're bringing in your sense of shame and worth, um, your sense of, of, of who you are. And so what she has suggested, and another, another way of, of saying these like group norms or um, titling these group norms is she calls them rules of rumbling because, um, because the work is so important that it can also be uh, it can be, it can not only bring out the best in us, but sometimes the worst in us. Yeah. And I've had an experience lately where uh, I, I'm I'm working with a group now that it, it's the first time that they're really starting to come together to to talk about things in a really um, 
deep, uh, in, in a really deep way, in a really vulnerable way. And so we really had to go through those norms a few times. And, and still today, um, you know, I had, I had one of the group members say, you know, I feel like I'm a, I'm a 12 year old being told how to act. And, you know, that, that for me said two things. One, the way I was trying to describe it to him was not working. So um, it was, there was a communication lag on my part. And the other thing is that it made me realize how important actually it is um, to have those rules of rumbling in place. Because again, he's, he's coming to this gathering with a sense of himself um, that, that, you know, it could both be very constructive for the group, but also potentially very damaging. With this idea we've sort of established of what a covenant is, yeah, what do you think is the difference between a covenant that is living and breathing and continuous um, versus something that's like, because you said you are, or were a lawyer, you don't really stop that. Yeah. But what are sort of the difference between something like a covenant that is quick versus something that is living and breathing and evolving and changing? Um, well, you know, go to your group norms, right? Uh, you know, a typical group norm might be, let's see, let's not deny somebody's basic experience of something, right? By saying, oh, no, you should have felt this way. Let's not tell other people how to feel. Well, that can mean a lot of things, right? That could be verbally telling somebody, hey, you know, you really shouldn't feel like that, or, or you, you view that the wrong way, and blah, blah, blah. But it can also mean body language, like if you're turning away from somebody, if you're not able to look at them in the eye, uh, if you're rolling your eyes. So, you know, that's where that's some something where there's kind of a base norm, but what's captured in that norm. Um, and also, so if I'm talking about my covenant of, um, of being in relationship with my congregation, right? Mm -hmm. That means that they can expect me to, um, to act in certain ways or to strive to act in certain ways, but that there's also room to allow me to be human um, in, in the event that I'm just having an off day um, or if I, you know, flub something up in the liturgy or if I didn't um, know that somebody had a pastoral need because uh, I wasn't made aware of it, and, um, and, and now they're angry at me. You know, some of these things are just part and parcel of being human, and the co a covenant, as I understand it, says, listen, these are what we're trying to achieve, but let's give each other a sense of grace and a sense of mercy and a sense of compassion to allow us to kind of live into these covenantal norms and covenantal promises so that you know that to me is probably um how i think of a covenant as being organic is that it, it's it's less looking at the 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 four corners of the document and mm -hmm. and saying this is you know well you didn't do this it's mm -hmm. being able to say you didn't do this but you know what there are life is life and and shit happens and so we need to kind of allow for that um, in, 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 you know, in good ways, you know, we don't need to be enablers, certainly, um, but we can certainly um, 
model out for each other what it means to to have a sense of grace and to have a sense of, of mercy and compassion. How do you think we live by that moral code? I may be jumping to like a second yeah. question here without <laughs> acknowledging what that first sort of covenant that let's okay, we'll go back. Yeah. yeah. What, what covenant do you think we have with God as people? The big question. What covenant do we have with God as people, as God's as God's beloved, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So I understand my covenant with God to be to love God, um, to praise and thank God um, for the mercy and grace that God extends to me. At the same time, it's it has to flow then directly out of me towards those whom I'm in relationship with and into this world that I live in. Um, so it is my my covenant with God is to to have that relationship. Uh, with God, which I nurture and which I take time to explore, um, to understand God and to understand myself within that relationship, but also to understand my God through my relationship with others. Um, those are the, the the real two big things. Um, and you know, and there are all of these kind of sub uh, sub things, sub uh, uh, ideas like bringing forth the, the good news and sharing that and, and really having that, having people understand it as a, a really vital um, living part of what it means to be a Christian, right? It's not just something that's pasted inside our, our uh, baptismal covenant in the Book of Common Prayer, but it's, it's an active and living um, thing that we need to kind of grapple with on a day-to-day -day basis, on an individual-to-individual -individual basis. And once we stop grappling it with it, then it just becomes it just becomes a, a document that you may as well file away because it's kind of dead to it's dead to you. Um, yeah. So. I love the baptismal covenant. I think it's like this beautiful poet poetic sort of idea that we all live by. But I love what right. it ends with with um, you are marked as Christ's own forever. Yeah. Like. Yeah that sort of idea that no matter what you do there's no like opt out like mm -hmm. you're this is it like we've made this choice we're here we're doing this even if your life takes as many turns as lives usually do there's not yeah. like an eject button on this plane like we're just yeah. on it yeah and you know what's amazing i love that and i thank you for raising that because that idea is not ours alone as Christians. I mean, even Jews, the you know, Jews say, once a Jew, always a Jew. Like you, you will always be a, a part of the tribe, no matter where you go. Um, it's also true of um, the Muslim religion. Um, you know, I think for me, it, it provides a sense of place. It it provides a sense of belonging, and it actually really focuses me on the importance of to whom I belong, right? It is, mm -hmm. it's not belonging to, to, to everybody else in this world. It's really trying to figure out how I live out my belonging as a, the beloved of Christ. And so I think that's really important. And I think you really hit on something important that we don't often reflect on, which is, uh, which we should, because it, it feeds right into the ideas of grace and mercy, right? That, um, 
knowing that we're human, um, we're going to royally screw things up. But, you know, we're still, we're, we're not going to get kicked out of the bar. I mean, it's, it's still, um, we're not going to get bounced out. We're so, we still can, can, can learn from that situation and grow. I'm going to go back to the second question then. Yeah. How do we live by that covenant if we know that we're not going to get kicked out of the bar, as you yeah. said? Um, how do we live our life in that sort of way? Oh, it takes work. And I think that's where spirituality comes comes into play, right? And so if we're, we're if we're talking about religion, we're you know, we're talking about um, um, norms of, of belief and practices that allow us to come together as a group to with the same objective of, of praising and thanking God. But then spirituality asks us to kind of take that environment where hopefully we're, we're given the tools um, to then practice it on our own, to, to understand what our relationship is with God um, and, and to figure out for ourselves um, uh, how does that relationship uh, take on bigger meaning in my life. And if we reflect on that, then I think one of the conclusions that we hopefully come to, at least I, I've come to, is that being is not the same as doing. And so I can, again, read the, the, um, our, our baptismal covenant every morning, but if I'm not actually living it, then it's, it's not doing its job and I'm not doing my job or, or I'm not living into the fullness of, of God's beloved. So that means being in relationship for, with people, first and foremost, for me, even with them, with those who are difficult to be in relationship with, uh, and with those who find it difficult to be in relationship with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's always going back to to the it, it's always trying to find that common ground with people. When pe- when people say that they're just spiritual but not religious, I think you really kind of miss out on uh, being able to um, share in the fruits of your own growth um, with God, right? If, if, if I am so focused on my spirituality, hopefully I'm growing in ways that um, my heart is filled with the love of God. And the reality of that is that it should be overflowing such that you can't contain it. Like you really have to share it. Um, for it to 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 make a, a, a 360 um, so that is I think that's the for me the key uh, to, to living out that covenant is to always seek ways to find um, to, to be in relationship with people um, what do you think the difference is between spirituality and religion so, well, I mean, religion um, is, like I said, it's kind of a, a set of beliefs and practices um, that we, that a group has agreed to over, you know, however, you know, 2,000 2, plus years in terms of Christians. Um, and that provide us with a framework of understanding our faith. Um, it provides us with a, a framework of worshiping and, and praising God. It provides us with 
um, the arena to interact with others who have who are who are seeking or have that same sense of faith, um, so that we can kind of bounce off ideas. Like, am I am I thinking about my relationship in kind of nurturing, growing ways, or am I totally off um, off the tracks? Right, and and being in a congregation or or being with a group of people who gather to pray allows us to, to kind of to do that. Also, religion actually allows me to um, deliberately try to engage the God being in someone else, right? Because if I'm not getting off my sofa after praying for 15 hours or whatever, just to, to ramp up my spiritual side, if I'm not getting off of my sofa and actually kind of trying to bring that sense of me to others and to also gain a sense of God in them, then that's, that's, um, it, it, it's not full. It, it's not a full, um, life of faith, uh, in my, in my experience. Spirituality is those practices that, uh, allow me to, connect with God in, 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 in ways that, um, that hopefully are transformative and they can take on. And, and I think the, that's where we can get a little bit more creative, right? I, um, I, I do a lot of mindfulness meditation. Sometimes I will use the Jewish um, sitter and pray the prayers there um, because they speak to me at some point. Um, and I think um, that a lot of folks do that. I mean, it's that's why syncretism was just so prevalent, right? So when the colonists came to um, to Mexico, you know, if you look at their Roman Catholic religion, it is just in, imbued with um, local uh, spirituality that existed before the, the Roman Catholics arrived. And some of that has kind of taken on uh, uh, the Roman Catholicism and added its own flavor into it. So yeah, I mean, spirituality, you know, technically is, I think, um, a, a sense of my own seeking of God. Do you think you can have religion without spirituality? Like, do you, like, they have to work hand in hand with each other? I think so. I am loath to look into the to the hearts of people when they, you know, when they come to, to church on a Sunday, but that's kind of, you know, they come in, they do their prayers and they're gone because I'm usually interested and I'll say, so tell me about your, your spiritual life. Tell me about your prayer life at home. But for some people, they come to church because it's where they find a sense of community. And it may not be their entry point into a full life of, of of spiritual practice and being, but it allows them for whatever reason to have a community in which whether they can articulate this or not, um, they're able to, to experience hopefully God um, in, in the numbers around them. And so I think that's why it's so important to um, even come if, if you're not feeling particularly prayerful, if you're not, if you don't if you're questioning your belief, if you have no sense of belief, come, come to the table, come to church, because it's, it's a community, and, and we're first and foremost, I think, um, seeing God when we are able to, to be in community with one another. 
I don't think that their spirituality and religion is is mutually exclusive to one another. And in fact, I would argue that they're necessary um, for one another. Uh, and, but they're balanced, right? I think sometimes in my life, um, I feel sometimes religiously dry, um, where I feel sometimes like I'm I'm just going through you know the motions, right? It's and, and Hopefully a lot of priests will tell you this, but Sunday it is sometimes difficult to feel a deep sense of spirituality when you're up at the altar kind of doing what, you know, doing what I'm, what I'm doing. Um, but then there are some other times when I'm up at the altar for, for the Eucharist and I'm just ready to cry because I'm just so filled, you know, and that's the same truth on the, the spiritual side of my life. Sometimes my prayer life is really rich. Um, and sometimes it's just as dry as a bone. Um, and when it's a, when it's dry as a bone on, on the, on the spiritual side, that's for whatever reason where, when I feel most fed by the religion side, Mm. right. And then vice versa. So I think that they're really complementary. Yeah. Uh, a little like side tangent, but do you have any like prayer spirituality hacks? I feel like there's always various things of like this is one way you can pray and that sort of thing so do you have any sort of hacks for us that we can sort of use in our life that works for you or anything like that yeah so i think the hack that i've really been um i've really really been enjoying is uh especially because of all the time that we had is (laughs) um is you can actually go on YouTube and there are just some wonderful folks who are praying on, on there. And it's just, you just log on to, to somebody's prayer group, right? And just sometimes you need to be carried by prayer, by someone else's prayer when you're feeling kind of dry and in the, in the desert. Um, so that's always kind of a good thing. It's just, and I still do it myself. A few churches I know are doing uh, morning prayer by Facebook Live. I'll just log on to their Facebook Live. Um, so I guess that hack, if we want to name it is don't be afraid to, uh, to, to ride on somebody's prayer coattails, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you need to, you need that, um, um, that little bit of, of help. Um, I, I love, um, uh, what am I loving lately? I am loving, um, so all right, this this will sound really, really um, self-centered, but one of the things that I've loved doing since we're in place is I started um, making my own pour-over coffee. So I used to use a coffee press. Okay. Um, so I got, you know, super fancy. Like I got this Chemex um, uh, coffee maker and I got this gooseneck kettle. And in the morning, you know, from start to finish, it takes about... 10, 12 minutes to make a cup of coffee, but it is so prayerful um, because I've got to wait for the water to boil. I've got to fold the filter that goes into this special doodad thing. And then I've got to um, temper the, the, uh, the coffee carafe. Then I've got to grind the beans. Mm-hmm. And so the hack of finding prayer in the most simple and mundane things is a wonderful hack to nurture. 
um, because it is because you're all we're always doing mundane things, right? Yeah. I, you know, it. I don't know anybody yet who has um, sustained a level of fabulosity that they're just like always doing these great things. So you know, doing it when you're when you're cleaning the bathroom, folding your clothes, it, it there's always time for prayer. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a lot of those the activities you're saying are ones that are sort of repetitive and almost um, have a meditation sort of feel to them. There are a certain number of steps and you have to do them in order, but you don't really have to think about them. Yeah. So before I got really involved um, in church again, after many years of being out, I um, practiced Zen Buddhism for many, many years. And the essence of that that I took away from that practice is again what I've just said is it, it, it's the it's the holy in the mundane so sweeping your floors the repetitive action of sweeping um, it can be transcendent um, if you're in the mindset to receive that um, so yeah I totally agree it, it's it's that repetitive but it's also part of our Episcopal culture, right? Um, uh, Lex Orandi, uh, Lex Credendi, which is pray, you know, praying is believing. We have a book of common prayer to allow us to um, pray the same prayers over and over again, because for whatever reason uh, and, and through whatever mechanism, God is, is, is breaking through um, mm-hmm. in that, uh, be, through either a sense of comfort or through a sense of um, of, of belonging or uh, space in this world. Um, so there is something that's very, um, it's very holy about repetition. Yeah, I um, I personally really love our prayer book. I love that sort of repetition. Yeah. I was definitely, I was very involved in my church growing up and like was there three days a week on like a low week. So I was just always in that sort of idea. And when I went to college, I like didn't really go to any sort of churches just cause like I was working on Sundays or yeah. I had something else happening. But what I loved, I went to, I went to school in New York was uh-huh. I could walk into almost any church in New yeah. York, any Episcopal church. And the service would be the same as what it would be at home. It yeah. would be, the same sort of system yeah. and I, I find something very comforting in them I have a lot of other friends who don't like that kind of repetition and they want every church service to be different but I think that there's something very like comfort food like about yeah. our prayer book and it's one of my favorite things about the Episcopal Church and sort of like one of our legs that we stand on yeah yeah definitely you know, I think we also can see the, you know, the downside of that right now in what we're going through, you know, because there are a lot of people for whom, you know, uh, a regular income <laughs> was very, you know, the regularity of an income, the regularity of food. And now there are all these people who are just kind of upended. Um, so their sense of, of peace, of well-being, um, it, it you know, it, it, it's not there. And so how do we um, muster up our own sense of, of um, continuity and, and grace and well-being um, in ways that we can share with folks who are in those positions? And I think that 
I think that's why um, so many people are starting to show up on our um, virtual services, right? Because we've got folks from not even in Rhode Island who show up on our virtual uh, services because there's that sense of um, everything else is so topsy-turvy in my life. Everything's kind of flipped over. But I, I suspect in their minds, they're, they're thinking, but, but God is still the same and God still loves me, hopefully. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and so that, that's, a, that's a, something that's deep-rooted. Deep mm-hmm. um, so. No, definitely. I have been going to church more consistently and to yeah. more churches since the whole social distancing thing because my mom and I will do like we'll watch one service but we'll do like three sermons in a day we'll be like oh we'll just like go to and see what their sermon is oh yeah and we'll like we're like church shopping not that either of us are going to change our churches but it's like they had a really cool viewpoint on that that I wouldn't have gotten in my own church and that's something I personally really love is like churches working together and like my aunt went to a ordination in North Carolina yeah yeah we don't know anyone in North Carolina but it was on Facebook and it's like why not show these people support so I do think that is a very interesting outcome yeah change is I think change is is awesome um experiencing change is awesome and this is a perfect time to do it um and, you know, I, I, so I came up through the Diocese of New York and I you know, was in New York City for many, many years. And I, um, when I graduated from seminary, I, um, I was like, all right, so what would be something really exciting, right? And so I thought, um, because the two jobs, the two jobs that were available when I graduated in, in the diocese um, weren't very interesting to me. <laughs> and so the Canon to the Ordinary of the Diocese of Texas came out to, um, to my seminary and, and I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll talk with her. She was interviewing students. And so we were talking about the diocese and, you know, she, <laughs> she was telling me, she's like, well, you know, it's kind of low church and, and everything that I was I had done in New York City was 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 almost Anglo, almost Anglo-Catholic, but it was pretty high church. And, okay. um, and so I had this perception that um, Texas was going to be like snake belly low church, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I got out there, it was it was fairly low, but I just loved it because it was such a new way of experiencing God and experiencing people's relationship. Like my whole time in the Northeast, um, it, it's kind of rare for people to talk about um, a relationship with Jesus in a in a kind of close, personal, meaningful way. You know, we we tend to we tend to shroud it around like the Holy Spirit or the divine presence or something like. But you know, Southerners are are very much into <laughs> Jesus loves you. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And it and it's a frankness that um, that I really appreciated and that really resonated with me. And so. Um, it, it, it changed it changed my relationship with God. So that so that those periods when you can experience change on your own terms, like nobody wants to experience change when they're when they're 40, 
forced to, right? In a really bad situation. Yeah. It's, it's, it's difficult. But if you kind of can see the, the goodness of it, and if you can see the opportunities within it, that where God is calling you or where God is, is, is trying to work God's way deeper into you, then it becomes, um, it becomes transformative. Yeah. My sister has a saying called Jesus calls collect. Um, <laughs> and that sort of idea of like the holiness of just saying yes and being like, yeah. I don't really know how this is going to go, but what do I have to lose in this moment with that? Yeah. Have you experienced that yet? Have you done something like that yet? Um, I think a lot of when I, so I graduated in 2018. Uh-huh. Where did you go? I went to Marymount Manhattan College. It's a oh yeah, school. on seventy. Is it is it seventy first and seventy first? Yes. Yeah, I lived on. I for one year I lived on seventy first and first. Oh wow, you I are past that like school all the time. Next door to us. I'm so sorry if we were like loud or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I when I had one student who lived across the hall from me in my apartment in my apartment building, and. I swear, like five o'clock, no, it was like around six o'clock every night. It would just like smell like pot, like, and it would like seep right in, into <laughs> uh, my apartment. And, but he was the nicest guy though. Yeah, no, I, nothing about that story surprises me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, so when I, I graduated school, I sort of yeah. just said, uh, yes, to a lot of jobs and things sort of spiraled in a really wonderful, um, beautiful way. And I was getting work. My degree um, is in playwriting and costume design. So getting yeah. work in that is just yeah. an exciting baseline. Yeah. Um, but it was wonderful. And then I, um, I moved home in August of mm. 2019 um, for like a variety of reasons that everyone moves um so I think it's been very exciting to sort of re-figure out who I am here and what sort of yeses I want to say yeah in Rhode Island Ivy versus New York Ivy yeah I think that it's so exciting you know I'm kind of envious that's so exciting <laughs> it's a good position you know I think that, that when you can be in when you could be living in a state of curiosity, mm -hmm. um, it really, it really opens things up. And I think that that's one of the things that I, I really try to work on with, with my congregation is that, because, you know, being one of the four colonial churches, you know, we've got this like history that is a, is a blessing and a burden. The usual answers are, well, we, you know, we've done it this way for 300 years or you know, just kind of asking questions, you know, so I'm curious, you know, what would this look like if we did this? Or I'm curious, why, you know, why is that old piece of <laughs> something sitting in the corner of the church? Um, you know, and sometimes the, the answers are really interesting, but sometimes it, it, it sometimes new uh, ideas pop up. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's really the Holy Spirit, right? That's where, um, if, if we're not being curious, if we're not putting ourselves in a, in a position to even think about saying yes to the unknown, then we're really not kind of letting the Holy Spirit do the work that she's supposed to do and yeah. help us with.
Um, no, absolutely. So I love that you are. <laughs> and look, 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 you know, like I would not have, would you in your wildest dreams have thought that you were like kind of talking to, you know, interviewing a, a, a crazy rector? <laughs> it's like, no. Probably not. The, I feel like this whole podcast is a very holy Yes, a lot of things fell into place really beautifully um, to even yeah. make this happen. So I yeah. definitely um, feel you on that. And I, uh, your church is stunning. I like, I was part of choirs when I was growing up and we would yeah. sing even songs there. Um, yeah. But I think there is something very interesting about um, the Episcopal Church in Rhode Island, but in New England as well. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm and I would even include New York in it, that we are in these very structured buildings in mm. a way. And that sort of leans into, well, this is how it's always been done sort of idea. And yeah. the most successful churches, I think are the ones that are like, this is how it's always been done, but why not do something else? Like if you yeah. look at the prayer book, there really are not that many directions. It's really just what you have to say. It's yeah. not, really anything there are a lot of there are a lot of may rubrics right so you know the efficient may do this but it's not a you know there, there are more of those than i think that there are must or shall you know? yes definitely. um i i i think that um you know one of one of the questions that i always ask um wherever i go um to people in their churches is who would you all be if your church burned down to the ground? And that's, that's, you know, the, the look of horror um, and the inability to kind of think through that at, at first is a little um, uh, off-putting because, you know, like, okay, you know, maybe I'm not going to be able to, to uh, help them see a, a bigger sense or vision of themselves. But once you start kind of working with um, the narratives that they've been working with and, and understanding that there's a deep love of God that eventually supersedes all of the, you know, kind of the, the BS parts, I'm not saying yeah. that's much BS, but, <laughs> you know, but let's, let's be honest, let's, let's really prioritize and, you know, what, you know, I'm not here to run a museum and yeah. hopefully people don't attend a church to, um, to, to, to worship their ancestors. Um, so again, it's it's that uh, idea of of staying open and curious and and wanting to say yes to God that I think can really take us and actually the larger church into really big and exciting um, areas, new areas. Um, I, I am a little envious sometimes when I talk to my friends who are uh, church planting. I mean, church planting is just there's something really appealing to it because you're really starting um, with nothing <laughs> uh, other than the Holy Spirit and sometimes we forget that that's all we have is is God and and and, and how God leads us and um, we get mired down in um, the forms uh, mm. of, of what it means to be a Christian rather than the functionality of, of what it means to be a Christian. So we are kind of coming towards the end of our time together. Um, yeah. Is there any sort of last thoughts that you're like, I cannot do an episode called Living in Covenant without saying X? 
yes. Um, there are two words and two ideas that we should never ever be afraid of uh, if we are to call ourselves followers of Christ. One is um, discipleship and the second is evangelism. Hmm. Um, to really be a follower of Christ means putting ourselves in the posture of being a disciple. You know, the, the, um, the meme of what would Jesus do is, is it's real. Like that is kind of the level of following that I think we are asked to do. Then the second is evangelism. Are we, are we really, are we sharing through our words and actions the good news that is promised to us? Um, because that's what we're really called to do. And, and, and I think if we're living that way, then wow, I mean, we are just kind of unstoppable. Like love is really unstoppable. So, um, and, I, and I've run across a lot of people for whom um, those two words are, are redolent of, um, you know, Baptist Bible Belt yeah. terminology, right? So there's a lot of baggage that those, but it's time for us to reclaim those words mm -hmm. in a big, meaningful way. Uh, because I think it, it undergirds what and how our life uh, in Christ should be like. Um, which in turn undergirds what and how our life with each other should be like. So thanks for letting me get that out. Yes, definitely. Um, so I know right now we can't um, be in person with each other, but if we wanted to see you on a Sunday, how could we do that? You can always um, contact me or contact the <laughs> church and we'll send you a Zoom link to our Sunday service. But every night on Facebook Live, we at 8 p.m., we have Compline. Um, and it's just not my face. Um, it's not just my talking head. Uh, we have a lot of lay folks who are leading it as well. So that's something that I love. Um, and they invite their friends. And then their friends invite their friends. And we get a lot of folks. So it's a lot of fun. Those are the two ways. But, um, you know, now that we're thinking about um, this kind of phase reopening, we're hopefully also going to start streaming our services directly onto our webpage. Mm -hmm. um, that's to come. So it's and, a work in progress. Yeah. And what church are you at exactly? St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Bristol, Rhode Island. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for being with us tonight. Thank you, Ivy. It is, I can't wait to meet you in person. We'll have yeah. a lot to chat about. Definitely. A lot of good New York stories. Yes, definitely. <laughs> thank you for listening to Tea Time Theology. We would like to thank our sponsor, the Episcopal Diocese of Rhode Island, and the Right Reverend Nicholas Nisley, as well as our guests today. You can follow us at Tea Time Theology on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This season of Tea Time Theology is hosted and organized by Ivy Swinsky. Our music is mixed and performed by Mo Ray. Akande, the podcast is recorded and edited by me, Taylor Wilkie. Open now the crystal fountain, whence the